Hello and welcome to another episode of A Rock and a Hard Place, the podcast that explores why minerals matter, their importance in society, and the role they will play in the clean energy future. I'm Salim Ali, Director of the Minerals, Materials and Society Program at the University of Delaware. And I am Thomas Hale, a graduate student exploring the mineral security nexus at the University of Delaware's Minerals, Materials and Society Program and George Washington University. We love hearing from you, so do get in touch via the Mineral Choices website. Enjoy the show. We're delighted to have with us Suzanne Green joining us from Switzerland, where she is currently leading the procurement office for Dow Chemicals. Uh, Suzanne has had a distinguished career in academia as well. Before joining Dow, she was uh, leading the Sustainable Supply Chains Initiative at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT which I'm happy to say is also one of my alma maters. Uh, She's uh, also had training in industrial ecology and has um, degrees from both the US and Europe. She has her undergraduate degree from University of New Hampshire and her graduate degree from University of Zurich. So Suzanne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Salim. It's great to be here. Wonderful. So let's start off with a discussion about this very important paradigm that is making a a lot of uh, impact in policy circles, and that's the circular economy. Um, There's a a sense that we should be mimicking natural systems which are circular and that industries should also have uh, more circular material flows and energy flows. Especially in this regard, if we think about um, the, the, the notion of recycling and whether something is recycled to a product of higher value or lower value, we often refer to as upcycling uh, or downcycling. Uh, could you uh, give us some sense of how your procurement work is interfacing with this new paradigm that is now gaining a lot of traction, especially in Europe? Yes, for sure. And I can give you a view on Dow, and then I can tell you maybe a story from my research at MIT that that is super relevant here. So, you know, Dow is committed to the circular economy. When you make plastics and, you know, these types of things, you have to, you need to think about that. What what happens at the end of life and what is the role of a single use plastic um, in the world and, and how can we enable recycling? And, you know, for for Dow, it can be many different things, right? To make sure that the chemical composition of the plastic is appropriate for recycling. So that chemical recycling piece, we can make sure that the additives are the correct ones, that something can be recycled. Um, and then, you know, there's, we need take back to exist, right? So we need, we can make something that's recyclable, but there needs to be systems in place to to take that back. And um, it, one of my projects at MIT was with Colgate Palmolive, and we were working with them on their recyclable toothpaste tube. So they were the first company to release a fully recyclable toothpaste tube, um, because before that there used to be um, three or four different types of plastic in the tube that made it impossible to recycle. So they solved the challenge, they created a recyclable tube, they made the composition open source so there's a patent an open patent that anyone can use this design so they made a big step but what they realized that 
it doesn't really work that way. The world doesn't work that way, right? That a recycling system can't sort for a Colgate toothpaste tube. You know, so they're, they realize that, well, they did the right thing, right? By making this recyclable tube, the system doesn't exist for them to take it back. So now they've made the design open, but it's going to take years before other companies can maybe start to, to roll this out. So we worked with them to think about what kind of system needs to exist to kind of take back these small items or unique items that are hard to recycle. Like maybe you've heard about like those shampoo, small shampoo bottles or, you know, these little plastics that, that just don't get recycled because the systems aren't designed for that. So we have a lot of ideas and, you know, that things we can do to um, take back these, these different types of plastics so they can actually be recycled. Because the alternative, you mentioned upcycling and downcycling, right? The dream is for everything mm -hmm. to be, you know, bottle to bottle or tube to tube recycling. Yeah. Um, because what we don't want to see is something like, okay, the plastic gets used and then it gets turned into like the floor for a playground. So yeah, exactly. That's okay, but it doesn't solve our problem. It's just, it's not, it's still kind of the linear economy Exactly. Yeah. But that raises another interesting question, which is that often there's a trade-off between plastic usage and metals usage. So with toothpaste, I know many companies uh, who are sustainability focused have said that it's better to use metal uh, toothpaste containers with aluminum, for example, uh, because they are likely to be more recycled than the plastics. Uh, I'm wondering if you can comment on also the metals plastics trade off in certain cases. Yeah, I mean, I think when these things, you always have to look at the full life cycle and compare, you know, what really is the carbon footprint, but also like what really is the ESG impact, you could say, of these different materials throughout the life cycle. And I can't. I don't know enough to say, you know, which is better or worse in that sense. But but I have seen studies on like replacing a plastic bottle with a glass bottle. And ultimately, the carbon footprint might be higher at the end because of the increased transportation emissions to move a glass bottle around because it's heavier. So there are these kind of um, things that plastic enables, right? It can enable a relative emissions reduction but with anything in sustainability, it's always a trade-off, right? We're using resources. Yeah, where... and we need a systems approach. Exactly. You have to look at the full picture and you have to accept the trade-offs that, that might exist and, and, you know, really fully. It's like a societal question, I think, that we all have to ask ourselves. Like, what, what are we okay with? in terms of resource use and and we we have to think really quite holistically there absolutely and that's why tools like uh, life cycle assessment are very powerful because they can help us compare products across the full system wonderful well uh finally suzanne uh since a lot of our audience is academics it would be helpful to know how universities, science institutions can better assist industry in their sustainability efforts. You have, you have been employed by a university and now you're working with a major multinational. So you are ideally placed to 
give guidance on what can be the most constructive way in terms of uh, university industry partnerships for sustainability? Yes, sure thing. And yes, I like this question a lot. And I think there's so much that universities can, can add to corporate sustainability being neutral, right? Universities are a perfect place to help companies collaborate, right? Sometimes it can be hard for competitors to collaborate on an issue because it gets into um, maybe some thorny issues, but but universities are a perfect place to kind of bring people together in a neutral ground and have this kind of reputable middle person to, um, to sort out some of the problems. And I've seen that work really, really well, um, you know, at MIT and other places in terms of like developing um, methodologies. Right. So part of my work, a lot of what I did at MIT was developing carbon accounting methodologies where we're the neutral party. We're writing the guidance document. We're liaising with many companies to get everybody's opinion, get every, you know, kind of a dip diplomatic role. Right. To um, to, you know, put something out there that's highly credible and can be used by many companies. So. I think that for sure is something that 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 universities can help with, and then also solving those kind of thorny problems, right? Those big picture, difficult to solve, like you said, the systems problems that we need to tackle on the higher level, like giving us new ideas, helping us think through how to build the infrastructure that we need, the policies that we need, you know, all all the things that we need to put together to do this low carbon sustainability revolution that we need in the next 30 years. Um, it's quite a big puzzle that, that needs to be solved. And, and I can tell you that the universities give us a lot of inspiration and ideas that the companies can then run with. Fantastic. Yes. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for your time and illuminating this topic from both the industry and the academic perspective. Thanks for listening to series one of A Rock and a Hard Place. Join us on the next series where we discuss key issues in the world of minerals with leading experts from across the globe. In the meantime, have a wonderful week.